Salutations, Shades, and welcome back to your home for all things strange and unusual. Talking with Shadows, the conversation everyone has, but no one wants to admit to. Here with your host, Vic Whaley. And Marcus Dian. Guys, welcome to Season 2 of Talking with Shadows, the podcast. I cannot believe we have done an entire year's worth of podcasts already. What did the number come to so far? Like, how many episodes? We have done 36 episodes. (laughs) Prior to this, and I, it was funny because I remember when we started doing this podcast, we thought we were just going to do it, you know, every other, you know, every other week or so, or maybe like once a month. And then, you know, COVID happened, and we're like, you know, we're going to be dedicated all through COVID. We're going to put um, an episode out once a week, and here we are, thirty six <laughs> weeks later. So awesome for you guys because we've just been cranking out these episodes as fast as we can. At this point, I think this just might be our pace now. I know. for Well, we did talk in the last episode about what we wanted to do uh, for season two uh, for the podcast and, you know, for season six for the case files because I know everybody has been hammering for a lot more case files and we're pretty excited about that because I think what we're going to do is we're going to do four podcast episodes a month as well as one case file and all the podcasts are going to kind of you know, episodes are going to help kind of prepare us for our case file. Beyond that, our Patreon content now is going to be where we'll pick a theme that goes along with our subject matter of the month and kind of drill into that. Like oh, yeah, this yeah, month, yeah. we're going to be talking about grimoires, particularly ones that deal with demons and things along those lines. And maybe a couple other surprise uh, episodes on there for you guys because we like making uh, episodes for our patrons as well. So, so. Why don't you go ahead and let them know what our subject matter for the month will be? What's yes. the po- or what's the case file we're building up to? Yes, yes. Okay, so uh, for October, guys, Halloween. Halloween is when uh, we paranormal podcasters are at our strongest. So we thought that for the first, don't you shake your head at me? <laughs> just... Don't you shake your head at me? That was awesome, and that is so true. You know it's true. This is like our bread and butter, man. It's October, man. This is when this is when this is our time to shine. No, man. I, I'm with you. I'm with you, man. But that was just such a weird way of saying it. When we're for, when we're at our strongest, I feel mightier than normal now that October's upon me. And I was waving my hands like really in the air, being all dramatic and all that too while I was talking. Anyway, but before I was interrupted, thank you very much. But anyway, um, all th- all throughout uh, this month, we're gonna be talking demons. And if you guys have ever actually like seen like our content that we put up on uh, our YouTube channel, we don't talk a whole lot about demons because a lot of the cases that we pull, we don't genuinely believe that these things are actually demons. The stuff we're gonna be talking about this month, oh yeah, we're gonna be talking about <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna be talking all things demons. So this is gonna be a, a awesome month for you guys because we're gonna be talking about some of the deepest stuff in this part of the paranormal you're gonna get some some perspectives on that you guys don't normally get from us oh absolutely uh absolutely um for today's episode though we're gonna be drinking something new because we realize we've been doing a lot of product placement for diet coke and uh reds <laughs> so we wanted to do something a little bit different today so today we are going to be drinking what did we pull? I realized I don't know a whole lot about alcohol as much as you do. So Genevieve Belgian style amber ale. 
Yeah, this is actually like a officially endorsed drink of Gin Con. And if you don't know what Gin Con is, you're probably actually a lot cooler than we are. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. And this is to a, an awesome season two and to all of our listeners out there. Cheers, man. Cheers to you guys. Oh, that's tasty. Mm -hmm. I like that. Oh, yeah. I I've always liked Bavarian-style beers. <clears throat> and it's got a dragon on it. It does have a really badass-looking dragon. That makes it taste better. I'm convinced of it. So did you ever tell them what's going to be our final topic for the case file? Or oh, yeah. We're going to do He Who Must Not Be Named and the Paranormal. It's going to be the Zozo Demon. I'm glad you're saying it because I'm not going to. I'm, you know what? I'm sorry. I, I wholeheartedly believe that so much of the paranormal can get you if you're legit terrified of it. Now, I am terrified of cults. And being snatched up in the middle of the night by them. But that's true. But I'm I'm going to be hard-pressed. I'm not scared to say his name. Like, he's the Lord Voldemort of the paranormal, apparently. I just do not like doing things that can invite curses. Mm-hmm. But okay, let's get to some comments. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. So, from our last episode, we did The Dark Watchers of California. If you guys haven't seen that episode, definitely go over and check out it. They are essentially like massive shadow people that are spotted in the mountains of California. Uh, it was actually a really, really cool episode. Uh, Death Knight 28 says, I feel like I've seen this in a movie somewhere. Not sure, though, but yeah, they could be Guardians. That's an interesting perspective. I could really potentially see that. I'm trying to think of what movie this might be, though. What that, it, what that could be from? Uh, can't think of any off the top of my head. Hmm. Well, if you remember the movie, please let us know. <laughs> Blue Steel. I'm excited for the monthly case files. Also, my previous comment was about the green monster was a reference to Minecraft. I was wondering if it might have been. Yeah, you were talking about the green monster was what it, what, it, what it was? Yeah, I kind of was thinking maybe he's talking about, like, creepers from Minecraft because I don't really know Minecraft that well. Well, we're kind of at that point where we're starting to not know what all the cool kids are talking about anymore with some of the memes and stuff they put out. So, you may have, uh... That you probably got over one on us on that. So, oh, my favorite comment for this. Oh, man, this is awesome. Marcus destroys Vic with facts and logic. I don't want to read the rest of the comment because that is just awesome. You are my hero, Nick. First, I really do not think you made a full case that it is a Brock Inspector. There I... are a lot of trademarks of a Brock Inspector that is just not present there. Man, you know what? I forgot to bring for this episode. I was going to bring a bag of apples. Because I was going to read that comment and say, I brought these for you because I know how you like dim apples. <laughs> <laughs> you should have. Oh, it was great. Oh, oh, we didn't even, oh, even capitalize destroys. I love it. <laughs> so in all seriousness, I'm curious about the lady who says she saw the movie run her car since these beings seem to vanish at the slightest movement. Um, you know, Nick, when I was reading a lot of comments about people saying that they've seen uh, the Dark Watchers, it seemed as though that they were actually referencing just straight shadow, like having shadow people encounters. They're seeing them in their car below the mountains, or they're seeing them in their houses or in their dreams or things like that. Um, so that's why I think she, I think that's what she actually had as far as an experience for that. Um, I mean, the only real difference between a Dark Watcher and a Hatman encounter is pretty much the location and the size. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a big deal. I mean, a 17-foot-tall one is, is going to be, fair. yeah, one that will just chase you around your car and all that. Oh. Well, thank you guys for the comments. We always love getting comments from you guys and going over comments before the beginning of all the episodes. So, all right, guys. So, today, we are going to be doing a doozy of a case. 
we are going to be talking about one of my absolute um, favorite cases uh, to talk about in the paranormal. This one is when, when people ask me to tell them a story in the paranormal, this is the one that I tell. This is the one that I tell. Today, we're going to be talking about the exorcism of LaToya Amens. And yeah, I know a lot of you guys might be saying, well, haven't you guys already talked about the exorcism of LaToya Amens? Yes, way back in the day, we did do a case file on it, but... Well, we're redoing it for a few reasons. One, there's been a fair bit of stuff come out since then. And two, this is such an amazing case, we don't want people to forget about it. And there was so much in that episode that we left out and and that we didn't really get to. And in, in a lot of our early case files that we did for, you know, you know, the episodes were just shorter. And the more that we've been doing this, the more that we've been learning and the more that, you know, we've discovered you guys like listening to us ramble on and on and on back and forth with each other so our episodes have gotten longer so there's a lot more in this case we could even talk about in the before that we could even talk about so all right let's get to it okay so the exorcism of latoya almonds happens in our home state of indiana in gary indiana and i don't know if you guys have ever been to gary indiana or know gary indiana it is a rough part of Indiana, it's like uh, one of the murder capitals of the country. Uh, it's a very, it's a, it's a very, uh, it's a city that's had a lot of hard times. That's that's happened a lot of times. It's a pretty rough city. So the um, uh, Latoya Almonds, her mother uh, Rosa Campbell, and her three children, ages twelve, eight, and seven. No, twelve, nine, and seven. I apologize. Um, move into Gary, Indiana. In November of 2011. Shortly after they move into this home, a bunch of weird <laughs> stuff starts happening in the household. The first, one of the first things they start noticing is flies start buzzing around the door. And I don't mean like a little bit of flies. I mean like a crap ton of like biblical type like fly, like little flies just start swarming around this door in the middle of winter. Okay, like, I don't know if you've ever been to, like, northern Indiana during this time. Like, there is, it is, these things should not be there at this time. Yeah, and I can see why she gets very disturbed. She equates them to horse flies, and I'm someone who grew up on a horse farm. Horse flies can be very, very big. They are, they are big old flies, too, man. I remember when I was a little kid, man, I was uh, riding my bike, and I remember this giant fly, and I still, to this day, say this thing was, like, the size of a friggin' baseball like almost like that big lens on my arm freaked me out that there has to be hyperbole but they can get okay fairly long. like a little baseball then i don't know like it was like it was at least a couple inches long man it was huge or maybe it was just i don't know maybe it was terrible and it wouldn't surprise you if one could get two inches long no nobody believes me okay but, uh, i choose to believe you thank you thank you for listening and anyway baseball sized fly Anyway, so they started having these flies start buzzing around the buzzing the door, and they try to kill them. They try, you know, insecticides, nothing works, and these things just keep coming back. Shortly after that, she starts noticing that her kids start acting just. They st she starts acting strange. She catches her littlest son like in the basement of the house in their basement. There's a room that's back there with the door. She catches them down there whispering in the dark to people that aren't there. Like, I don't know if like, it was a parent, but if you found your kid just, like, down, like, inside a closet talking to nobody. Yeah, and the subject matter was often very disturbing. I believe in that particular case, um, the son said that he was talking to a young boy, and the young boy was explaining to him what it feels like to die. Mm-hmm. And 
by this point, her kids are also having like uncontrollable fits of rage. Like that's when these, a lot of these events started happening is, uh, like her two sons will start fighting each other. Uh, her oldest daughter will start, will start latching out to it. And she starts becoming like legit concerns that there is something wrong with her kids. All of this uh, event eventually leads up to this this another major event that happens in the home. It was March tenth, two thousand twelve. March tenth, two thousand twelve. Uh, Latoya Amans and her mother uh, awaken one night, and they 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 go to their daughter's room. The twelve year old daughter. They open the door, and the daughter is levitating off of the bed, like in a straight exorcist style, floating off her bed. I don't know how, as a parent how you handle the kid talking to the, you know, to the whispering to the dark, but like walking in to find your kid floating in air. Like, I don't know how she just doesn't crap herself right there. Um, the, you know, at, at the same time, whenever they, they, they catch their daughter flood left in the air, they're also noticing there's a bunch of like wet boot prints all over the house uh, at the, at the same time. And up to this point, they'd been experiencing a lot of sounds of people walking up and down the stairs when there was no one else in the house that could possibly have been causing it. And I believe that this is around the time they started hearing the phantom dogs, mm -hmm. right? Like phantom dogs barking. Yeah, they would hear dogs barking, and there were no animals in the house, and they would go out and look around, and there were no animals at all nearby. Yeah, and if you've been, like, a homeowner, like, you, you, you know what, like old house creaks and moans sound like and they were saying this is not what this sounds like um it's it's like legit someone walking on the stairs but let's go back again to the fact that she claims that she walked in on her 12 year old daughter floating in the air that's one intense intense experience yeah and this is just the stuff that's not even like documented. This is just the, just the hearsay stuff that she reports that happens. And everything after this point is like legit documented on like state government, state forms and everything after this. This is just the hearsay stuff. Well, that's the real miracle of this case. Yeah. So much of it is documented by actual officials and things like that, that it's, it just makes it unique yeah. in the paranormal world. Yeah. This is the end. This is the end of nothing. That's not, that's not documented on video or some sort of state record. April 19th, 2012. The family goes to visit the doctor of the seven-year-old boy, the youngest child in the home. Okay. While they're, while they're at the doctor's office, the seven-year-old and the nine-year-old start, like, talking in tongues, they say. They start growling. They start acting a fool. And in front of the medical staff of the seven-year-old boy, in front of the doctor, nurses, and everybody, the seven-year-old boy levitates off of the table and is hurled against the wall by himself by some un by, by some unknown by some unknown force like I, I don't even know as a, like we're medical professionals like me like me and Vic we 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 work at a hospital like if we had a patient that literally levitated off of his bed and like flew himself back against the wall. I'm going home. I tell everybody I'm terrified of birds. And I tell every day, everybody every single day that if a bird flies into the hospital, I'm going home and you are not going to see me for the rest of the day. My response, I think, is go the opposite. I am going to be glued to it. No, I am going home. I am out. I am. I, no, they do not pay me enough at the hospital to sit and hang out with a dude that flies in the air and is hurled against the wall. 
As long as it's not something that's aggressing on me, I'm going to be trying to observe the situation. Uh-uh. Because uh-uh. this sounds fascinating. So the boys continue to rage, and they end up, like, passing out, like, in the middle of this medical exam. So obviously the doctor and the medical staff are freaked out. They call the cops. They call 911. And the boys are rushed to the uh, the local hospital in the area. Okay. And at the local hospital, they start hearing the story about what happened. Everybody there at the main hospital thinks this is just hope. You know, this is just hogwash. This isn't true. There's 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 no way that could be going on. And while they're there, they think that there's something, you know, and then they hear them. This is when Latoya Amma starts getting asked directly what's going on. And she tells all this medical staff that, oh, my child's been afflicted. They're, they're being persecuted by spirits. They're possessed by spirits. Um, there's, there's something wrong with them. And, of course, the medical staff's like, oh, of course they are. While they, like, start dialing CPS to come out to the hospital. They're like, this lady's crazy. You know, and so they obviously think the children are being abused. So, a, C- a DCS caseworker from the state of Indiana uh, comes out to that comes out to the hospital to to interview the family and try to get to the bottom of what's going on. And this is where we see one of the most pivotal moments in this case. Yes, um, the CPS the CPS caseworker and the and the nurse of the nine year old boy um, go in to talk to the nine year old boy um, with his grandmother present in the room at the same time too. And while the boy is talking to the CPS caseworker, he starts growling, his eyes roll in the back of his head, he starts headbutting his grandmother in the stomach. And then in full front of everybody, glides backwards, up the wall, stops, glides backwards up the wall, and then does a backflip over all of the people in the room, unassisted. And this is something that becomes documented not only by the social worker that was present, but also by the hospital. Yeah, and I don't mean the dude, the boy just kind of like walked up and did like a run up off the wall where he does a backflip. That's not what we're talking about, nor nor is that even how it's documented. And this lady's come forward many, 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 many times, and it's how it's documented in report. The kid glides backwards, up the wall, up the wall, stops, and then flips over everybody in the room. So of course the the so of course obviously the nurse goes running out of the room screaming absolutely terrified. And so I believe the, the, yeah, the, the social worker does too, doesn't yeah, she? Yeah, yeah, she's like she's like she's like adios and she's like deuce and they just leave. I, uh... Now that one, I do not know how I would respond until I saw that. Mm-hmm. That's that's a pretty intense sight. The gliding backwards, then the floating up the wall, and then the backflip to just tie it all together. Yeah. It really makes you question how much you're getting paid <laughs> to to do this sort of a job when you see this. Like I that's just it's a horrifying and and you know, now we know we're laughing about this, but the main reason why we're laughing is we're trying to we're trying to decompress about like how horrifying a legit like this actually would be, especially when you're seeing this to a child. Like, you know, like you know, you're seeing a child roll with his eyes roll in the back of his head, get incredibly violent, levitate off a table, fly to the back. Or you see a nine year old boy literally just glide up the, like up the wall. Like how do you, how does anybody prepare how do you get prepared to see something like that? You don't you, you can't prepare for something that's that far outside your realm of experience. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely absolutely. Like, 
you know, we're, you know, not only are we medical professionals, we're like, we're hardcore, like, investors of the paranormal, and I don't think I've ever seen a human being do something close to anything like that. No, I, I've seen, I've seen some weird stuff with people claiming to be possessed. I, none of the cases where I was working where that happened, did I actually buy that it was any form of legitimate possession, but none of it was at all this spectacular either. So, um, shortly after this, shortly after this incident, um, the, the, the children go home. They don't think there's anything really with the mother that's going on that like causes them any concern with them going home that night. So like, you know, CPS goes home, goes back to their office and they have some sort of huddle, like about like, what do we do? Oh man, to be the fly in that office building that day. Yeah. Like, they're like, how do we, how do we handle this situation? You had to know their director was about to fire the person who, oh, no, who yeah. brought this in. No, I mean, you know, I, they're going to be like, they were doing what now? There's no way. Like, I couldn't even imagine being the caseworker that had to draw the short straw to, to, to go out there. I, I know what you mean. I, I'm just surprised that she didn't get fired over just submitting a report that said that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, guys, and although I didn't mean to admit this on the podcast, I mean, I, I, used to, I used to work for the state doing this job, okay? And when you do these sorts of reports, your supervisor has to proofread it and then approve for it and then proves it. So you're sending something that you know is going to be legit kept on file until the child's, I think, 21 or 27, like in their upper, tw- like in their upper 20s. You know, with the supervisor's name right next to the caseworker's name. I, you know, so the fact that this was, like, legit signed obviously believes that there had to have been something going on that day. Oh, yeah, this person was putting their career on the line to do so. I, Both me and you have worked in the social work field. Could you imagine just the stress of submitting a document like this to your director? Well, yeah. Well, again, keep in mind, remember, guys, I did this job. So the whole time when you're doing this, you have to be as objective as possible when you're doing these sorts of documentation. So, like, you know, it, it gets sent back all the time. So she had to, like, legit just say, yeah, the kid floated backwards up the wall and flipped over, and then back, then back flipped over, the, like, the rest of us. Whew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, while this had been going on, while this had been going on, um, apparently it comes to light that the kids had not been going to school. Because because of because of this issue because of again there's ongoing issues of the kids becoming violent in the home them acting out them doing these sorts of behaviors like in the home so obviously if you're a mother you're not going to be sending them to school like this so the kids were going to school so eventually the kids ended up getting removed from their mother's care um, and play and removed from their mother's care over them not going to school so that's how like 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 CPS gets involved with the family ongoing. And shortly after after this incident, that's when the, a new, another character comes into play. Uh, the chaplain at the hospital, you know, gets on call. Can't imagine that phone call. Like, hi, uh, yeah, uh, we we have a kid like levitating up the wall, doing backflips, possessed by demons. Do you mind coming to pray with the family? Hello, <laughs> hello. And I've considered applying for the chaplaincy job before, and I once again I feel like I would leap at this possibility. So, you know, and again, being paranormal investigators, we've had people that have tried to ask us to get involved in cases where they believe that somebody's demonically possessed, and the chaplain does the exact same thing that we do, kicked it down the line to the Catholic <laughs> Church. We're like, we need some pros involved with this. You need a pro. Um, 
and sends a phone call to a father, Michael uh, Maginot. I think that's how you say his last name. Is it Maginot or Maginot? Maginot. Maginot. That's how you say yeah, his that's last what name. That's Maginot. Uh, Michael Maginot. Now, Father Maginot comes out and to meet to meet with the mother. And Latoya Almonds says that she, you know her children. You know, tells the whole story again, and starts. It's, I don't think it's almonds. I think about it either. Almonds. Amons, there we Am- go. Yeah, Amons. So Latoya Amons starts telling the story over and over and over again, you know, to the doctor saying, you know, hey, this is what's going on. This is what's going on with my family. We're being plagued by these plagued by these spirits. And Father uh, Mashinov actually goes to the bishop of Indianapolis and goes, hey, can, uh, can I perform an exorcism? Uh, gets told no. And then goes, but you, but, but gets told you can do a lesser right in order to be able to do something else. And so he ends up going out to the home, uh, in order to start doing, he ends up doing like two exorcisms on Latoya Ammons over the course of all of these events. And correct me if I'm wrong here, and I may very well be, it was my understanding that lay priests generally don't have the um, training for proper exorcism. No, they don't. Now, because the Catholic Church has, like, four set, like, standards for what they consider to be, like, something that's, you know, something for an exorcism. You have to have, like, you have to, you have to meet four separate criteria. It's going to be knowledge of the unknown. you got to be able to, like, know events, hidden events or hidden things, speaking a language that's not true, uh, speaking another language, aversion to holy symbols, and, uh, oh, feats of strength. Uh, feats of superhuman strength, or feats of superhuman ability um, that you normally can't do. So we effectively only have two of them right. here in this case. Now, uh, what, what happens is, though, is that, you know, even though they say, you know, we don't... I think what's going on is the bishop is saying, I don't think that the children are possessed, anybody's possessed, but they could still be oppressed. Oppressed. And there are rights that a general priest can do in those particular situations. Um, if they feel that there's some sort of demonic oppression that's going on. And then that's what he gets approved to do. And then he does two of them on uh, Latola Ammons uh, through the course of this. And while this is while this is going on, more and more actors are coming in to, to get involved with this to investigate this uh, to, to, to investigate what's going on in this home. The local Gary uh, the police come out, with the case manager, who's not the person who went up for the assessment to investigate this, but um, the one that was ongoing, goes out with the the case manager to the home to investigate what's going on. And while they're out there, one of the things they saw was there was a uh, oil, there was some kind of liquid that was like bleeding from the curtains. Yeah, I remember reading this in the case, and I really wish there's more information on this. Mm-hmm. I. I don't know of another case like this offhand, do you? Mm-mm. This seems like something somewhat unique to this. I, maybe it's more common than I think yeah. I, it is, but I just haven't caught on. But like Father, I, I don't recognize this. Fa- Father Manager now just chalks it up to being just like something like just from the demonic uh, oppression that was going on. And like the caseworker apparently rubs her, like gets her, actually touches it. I don't know how she volunteered to do this. Extremely regrettable moment here for her. Yeah, by the way, coming from us, guys, if you see some sort of strange goo on a paranormal investigation, no, you do not touch it. 
to see what's going on. But anyway, but they actually like wipe this substance off. Nobody goes in the room, and then the substance starts bleeding from the curtains again. This is on police reports. It's just such a strangely unique phenomena. Mm-hmm. Like, usually when I hear about things in cases like this, I can usually establish, like, this is something that's occurred before, yeah. but I can't really do that with this one. Mm-hmm. And after uh, being involved with this family, there's this other thing that starts happening with all of these actors that get involved with the family. A lot of them start having bad things start befalling them. Like, the captain of the police ends up uh, having, like, a huge fall where he ends up, like, breaking a couple ribs or yeah, something. He, like, yeah, like he, like, he ends up getting, like, like injured. He goes unconscious for like a full minute, yeah. which the thing that surprised me about this is in Gary, Indiana, if he goes unconscious on the street for one minute, I'm surprised <laughs> no one came up and stole his gun. Yeah, just started mugging him. You know, the case manager in the in the case involved with the family starts, uh, she ended up like in a huge jet ski accident, breaking some ribs. Oh, burnt her leg too yeah, on burnt, a yeah, motorcycle. Yeah, burnt, yeah, had that too. Uh, Father Maggio, even though he was out there, he had a bike wreck shortly after having this too. One of the, con- the contractor for the home. That goes in to do uh, to do assessments on the home during the case uh, ends up developing cancer. Like so many bad things started like happening to the people that are trying to get to the bottom of what's going on out there. But something I'd like to point out: a lot of the intense bad things happened to the case manager. The one that touched the strange oil, and apparently when she had touched it, her hand went very pale in the area that they touched. And they actually got photographs of it. They felt it was such a notable, strange moment. They went ahead and documented it. Mm-hmm. It makes me wonder if it was some sort of physical curse goo, demon curse goo <laughs> on the curtains or something. Um, to wrap up just the main story before we can really kind of break down this case, Father Maggio comes out, he does two, like, you know, mini exorcisms on Matoy Ammons, and then essentially, and then after that, everybody claims everything is okay, and then the kids are reunited with her eventually down the road, and then... Everybody goes on their way. Eventually, the family ends up moving out of the home. They don't go back there anymore. Uh, and I think that family ends up, by the end of everything, moving to Chicago by the end. Of, oh, no, they end up moving to Indianapolis. I apologize. Oh, and as I mentioned earlier, they met two of the criteria for the um, possession that we went over earlier. During one of these exorcisms, um, when a cross was placed upon Latoya Amis, she kept, like, recoiling back from it. Mm-hmm. And that's where you get the second one of them. Mm-hmm. So that is the nuts and bolts of the case. That is a lot to unpack and break down. So we want to make sure that before we really got started dissecting this case, we really wanted to get you guys the whole facts of the case. And I know we're already 30 minutes into this podcast. Don't worry, we're going to go long on this one. Yeah, guys, we're there's so much to break down in this. But, but before we go any further, let me get ready. Oh, what is that? What are you drinking? Are you drinking hot sauce? I'll get your mind going. Yeah, you needed to like... There's no label on that. It's just hot sauce in a jar. What is that? (laughs) It's homemade hot sauce I got from a friend. That looks like badger piss. (laughs) And not even a healthy one, like a diseased one with like rabies. It is cloudy yellow, but man, is it good. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, last time I went back up to my dad's, one of his friends like, You like hot sauce? Here you go. (laughs) And it is very tasty. You want to try some real quick before we move on? No, no, that looks like it's fresh. From the badger, that is. <laughs> okay, there's a lot of places we can go from here. Okay. Where, where do you want to unpack okay. first? There are two places that I think might be good to go next. Either what happened right after that with the tearing down of the house and the subsequent fallout of the documentary. 
or we go in the direction of did the wrong person get exercised? I think we'd go one of those two routes now. Eventually, we're probably going to do both conversations, but where do you want to go right now? Okay, so yeah, there's a let's okay, let's go ahead and just do, let's go ahead and talk about the documentary that comes from from after the case. Okay, okay, so what? Why can't we go check out this house now? Okay, because wonderful, fantastic Mr. Paranormal Investigator <laughs> over the air, Zach Baggins, Baggins, whatever his name is, buys the house shortly after the news of this breaks. And then does his own investigation and documentary, and then just destroys the destroys the house. I do not care for this man very much at all. So, you know, if you guys haven't already seen, if you guys haven't seen it, you you guys can watch Demon House. It's on. If you know, if you have Amazon Prime, it's free on there. You can you can watch it. Uh, I recommend don't uh, because there's not a whole lot that's not on. You can just find. There's nothing new to find out from there. Like Zach Baggins, of course, does his own investigation he claims he has a bunch of weird stuff that happens you're being very nice here i am being nice okay here's the issue with the documentary it does it does get you thinking on some of the subject and some of the information that's given out in it is good but separating out zach Begin's normal bullshit overplaying pretty much certainly fake stuff it is hard to separate that out from the rest of it, and it makes it damn near not worth it. Like, at the point of two-thirds through, um, through the documentary, I really wanted to just turn it off because so much of it was just clearly staged stuff. So, Zach Bangs claims that he's gone on, like, what, was it, what do you say, hundreds of investigations involving claims of, involving demons, and he claims himself as, like, it's one of his specialties of demonology. And what is the first thing he does in his documentary is he shows up to the home in the middle of the night. Like, no casing the place, no checking it out, literally just buys it and shows up in the middle of the night. I don't, I don't, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I appreciate his theatrics, but it's just not necessary. Like, it's hard for me to take him seriously. One of the things I do think you can take away from it was from one of his interviews with, um, I think it was Latoya Amon's brother, mm-hmm. where they were talking about an event after they left the house and went to his house. And that he was saying that at one point, like two of the kids are in the living room playing on a video game, and one of them kind of stops playing and becomes despondent and begins chanting. A moment later, another the other kid starts doing it as well. Um, a third kid walks in. I, be- I don't know if this is the daughter or if this is a different family member. Walks in and she gets drawn into it as well while trying to figure out what the heck's going on. And it all culminates with this big fight where they're aggressively trying to hurt each other. And one of the things is, uh, as, the, as the fight goes on, they were slowly moving outside. And at one point, one of the boys looks at the other boy and says, Are you ready to do this, brother? And then they just start attacking. Um... I think that's an interesting tidbit that we probably wouldn't have had without the documentary. You, okay. I, I think what the documentary showed light on was probably how much on top, like how much, like re, how much of like Latoya Amons and the parents like probably were were laying it on about how much they genuinely believed their kids were possessed, and you know you can. You can read like so much of like the ending up like ending up with start is a fantastic article where they cover all of the events leading up to this, and they even clarify like so much like how much D- like DCS while they were involved. Part of their case plan was that Latoya Amons was suppo- uh, Amons was supposed to come up with alternative disciplinary methods, 
outside of trying to just throw holy water. Like every time your kid acts up, you just can't throw holy water like on him. Or every time your daughter screams, I hate you, mom. I'm going to, you know, she's going to run over, rub olive oil on her hands to cast out the demons. Like she had to, she had to come up with alternative methods of disciplining her children. Now imagine if you're a child, seven, eight, seven, nine, and 12 years old. And every time you act out, your mother told you, your mother and grandmother and uncle made you believe the reason you did this was because you were possessed by a demon. At a certain point, how do you, how, how would you as a kid not believe that? Oh yeah, like there's nothing in this case that could not poss or nothing in that the discussion that we just had that couldn't possibly be explained by just simply the kids taking in all this information that they're getting from their mother and acting out in the way they think that something would act out if they were possessed. Yeah. And and Zach Beckett in his documentary doesn't include any of this. Like he doesn't even include any of the the, the psychological records that, that that everybody gets from this case. That talking about that numerous times during like mental health providers challenging uh, the talking to the kids that the only time that the demons seem to come out is when they're being challenged on the fact that they're possessed. Every other time it seems to be fine that this is the only time. Zach Baggins never includes this at any point in his documentary to cover any of this. I think partially because he doesn't want to throw a cloud of doubt on on the case because he's an entertainer. Another problem is he does so much to prop up this story when you don't need to prop up this story. No, this no, story is amazing on its no, own. And because and that, that was the point that I wanted to bring up because I wanted to bring this part up because I know that people try to use this as a reason to believe that, that they believe that this is a reason about why these kids like legitimately weren't possessed is because, you know, every time they got challenged, this was the only time that, that you know, their eyes rolled to the back of the heads with mental health providers. You know, I'm like, oh, I, I, I don't think people get like how long sometimes people live with being possessed sometimes because a lot of Catholic exorcisms, they occur over the span of like weeks, months, years, like genuine exorcisms can take a very long time to do so. And And that's assuming you can even dislodge. There's ones that are just end up being ongoing because the demon just is not dislodged after each right. Yeah. And, and, And if you're, and if you're really thinking about like how a demon works, I think so many times we, we push like human thinking on paranormal entities because we're trying to understand them. You know, a real demonic entity that exists before the concept of time was a thing that has existed for at a minimum thousand thousands of years and a maximum billions of years. You don't think maybe it would take a nap to ride this thing out? <laughs> like I mean, I mean, and the other thing too, guys, we only did, this whole story is covered over the couple months. Uh, another thing to remember is she was never given a proper exor- er, exorcism. And she was effectively just given a very intricate version of a cleansing rite. Yeah, to me, that is the most horrifying part of this entire case. That Zach Baggins doesn't even bring up. The, you know, the Indian Alpha Star doesn't bring this up. Nobody brings this up. Latoya Amos was the only one that had any sort of an exorcism before an honor. These kids, at, at, at any point when you hear the story about her, does Latoya Amos have anything come up that, to explain about like what she does that's supernatural? Yeah, this is the really weird thing. Like, There is nothing to imply that Latoya is the source of this stuff. That Yes, a lot of it happens around her, 
but she's not the one floating. She's not the one gliding up walls. She's not even going into these hysterical fits and attacking people. I Nothing seems to imply that there's anything going on with a possession on actual Latoya Amons. Like, if you think about, like, other famous exorcism stories, like the story of the exorcist is, is based off of, which was a, a boy, not a girl... You know, it's not like when you watch that, like, read that story that the priest, the Catholic priest shows up and does an exorcism on the boy's parents. No, they do it on the kid. You know, over a course of, like, weeks when they do this. Not just two, just, you know, just, you know, whenever they had free time. And I have a pretty good guess on why they don't ever exercise any of the kids. A, I think that they're way more leery about doing something like an exorcism right on kids. I remember, what was it, like five years ago, there was a child uh, who died during the course of an exorcism. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the other part was CPS's ongoing involvement oh, with yeah, the kids. I, I I'm can, certain that was a big factor. Like, I, I can't even, I can't see CPS approving any of those things because they were probably stuck within the confines of what to do with DCS being involved. And I, and I could see them, you know... In, in the Indianapolis Star article, when they, they did their whole expose on this, them talking about how DCS wanted LaToya Ammons to do things other than use, you know, cleansing rituals with her kids act up, you know, and don't talk about this sorts of things. I can't imagine them being cool with an exorcism on the kids. Which, again, leads me to believe this is the horrifying reality of this case. Okay, let's let's pull back to tell you about the documentary for a moment. Because I want to get into the whole Zach Baggins uh, thing. Oh my god. Okay, at one point, uh, actually at a couple points, Zach Baggins supposedly loses control and attacks members of his crew. During one of them, it's um, only it's caught on the security camera, and he basically just walks up and pushes the guy around the room, like not even hard pushes. This was, I think, very... When, when I look at it, it looks like someone acting... Like they're trying to hurt someone while at the same time ensuring they don't do any real damage to them. And another one I have to bring to note is uh, when this guy was going through and testing for um, geological magnetic readings. He kind of holds out his arms like Frankenstein while behind his back. Ghost lunges about a half inch and then walks off. And it was just about the fakest thing I've ever freaking seen, man. Yeah. Like, his posture was not even in the sort of posture one is in before they attack someone. It was just such a... You know, and if you watch the documentary, you see the, the his crew member that, like, comes out of the hotel... A crew member comes out of the hotel room, like... Oh, thank yelling, you for bringing this up. Yelling challenging threats to whatever. And what do you see the crew doing? They're literally standing there with their phones recording the guy... Rather than going to intervene while one of their cast members like is getting like legitimately violent, they're not trying to de-escalate him. They're not trying to restrain him. They're not trying to call the police. They just let him go. I don't know what kind of like irresponsibility. Like as an employer, Zach Baggins drops the ball. As a friend, he's dropping the ball. And nothing involved in this scene at all implies to me that they are dealing with a person going through legitimate trauma of being spiritually attacked um they don't respond like he's doing and when they're talking to him to calm him down he's saying that he's angry he's saying that he's like dealing with his spiritual entity but his posture is extremely telling in that point he is not responding at all and keep in mind we work with people going through trauma all the time nothing nothing implies 
that he is actually going through any trial. The way he um, maintains eye contact, the way he holds his body, I can only assume that this is just straight up acting. Like, you, like you notice the camera angle was like legit, is like legit, like neck down during the whole the whole interview with the cameraman and like with the with the crew member that's you know supposedly being oppressed and his hands are like calmly like interlaced yeah. in, in his lap. You know, the whole time, even too, like you're talking about, like, he, the crew member was, vi- like, was vomiting blood. At no point do you see any image of this. And his muscles aren't even tensed They're, up like someone who's dealing with trauma or PTSD. <laughs> he's just, he's, he seems like he's just a really relaxed guy going, oh, yeah, um, I'm really mad right now. And yeah. uh, I am being attacked by this uh, spiritual thing. And I'm very upset. It, it, it came across to me like that, where... Clearly, this this guy isn't someone who's going through a trauma right now. This is someone who's acting, like very poorly acting. And keep in mind, I guess this this is a camera guy, not an actor. But either way, he probably shouldn't be acting like something's going on in a case where there is legitimate stuff going on. I, I think, you know, Zach Benjamin was trying to add. He just seemed like he was just trying to add so many, like just points for like entertainment value. When it's just, it doesn't need to be there because this case is just, it's such a horrifying case that it, it doesn't need the, the bells and whistles that he tries to add to it. Because it, to me, it detracts from it. Now, the one I do think might be legit is the guy who comes out to do the geological readings, then suddenly having organ failure, failure and going into the hospital. I mainly say that because they do actually show him in hospital it does look like it it does look like an intensive care unit he's definitely being kept inpatient and now that i think could have something to it mm-hmm. uh the guy after doing the readings and stuff um he goes to the hotel where they're all staying he hears this loud pop bell sound and then he realizes he's bleeding from the ears this is keep in mind right after he came back from trying to get readings at the demon house and then he goes into the hospital and he's apparently going through multiple organ failure I mean, it that, could be coincidence, but I don't know. There's so many. There's so many cases of people that that seem to be involved with this family. Like bad things aren't happening. It reminded me of like, what is it the Omen? Like yeah. where so many kids, like people are surrounded, like kids, just bad stuff just starts happening. The closer that they're getting to them. And this this is really what I mean. Like if I'm going to send a message to Zach Baggins, it's that just let the this paranormal site ring true on its own. You don't have to throw stuff on top of it. This is a legit well, paranormal event. I think this is a problem that that many documentaries have where you know documentaries now are about the documentaries journey through discovering whatever they're doing the documentary on and that's was his he's she's showing his journey with the demon house when you should not do that because you just attract so much away from the horror that is like the real story that is the action the exorcism of Latoya Amos. Truthfully, altogether, I think he hurts the credibility of what happened there. I think, and, and also, like, just so you guys know, um, Latoya Amons and her uh, mother, neither of them talked to him at all during the documentary. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I think there was rumors that they were t- that they were like trying to talk with your producer, or maybe they just didn't want to talk to the to to him at all. They just wanted to try to put it behind him. Which again, I could understand if you generally believe in that you have been like oppressed or your children have been possessed by demons you probably don't want to continue talking about it you don't you want to put it behind you i mean i get that 100 percent. do do you think 
Do you want to continue talking about the documentary? You want to there go to the angle? I think one more thing to talk about on this. Is that with him like locking himself in the house? Yes. Yeah. Okay. The ending. The ending of the documentary. There is some. There's some weird stuff. Okay. Let me. I believe that when you are trying to understand something that generally is difficult to scientifically quantify, sometimes you have to throw science and experimentation at the wall and just see what sticks because normal normal procedure does not seem to work to classify the paranormal. So he decides that he's going to spend the night in the house alone. And sure, maybe the paranormal uh, phenomena responds to people on their own differently than it does to a group. But you don't have to go through all the pomp and circumstances of literally boarding yourself <laughs> inside. And they make this really big deal about it. And after he's Like in drilling there, nails into the boards, uh, boarding up all the windows and doors. And boys and he's like, I don't want to turn this light on. I, I don't want to turn this light on. It makes me feel safe. safe. That's yeah. my safety light. And then uh, part of the way through it, he's in there sitting on this bed. And he starts yelling at the darkness after some sounds are heard. And then he kind of loses and starts kind of delicately wrecking the place. Not like someone who's actually trying to break anything, but he's like <laughs> delicately wrecking the place up. And then he just kind of leaves. And then next thing you know, they're tearing it down. He's saying that, oh, whatever happened to him in there did permanent damage to his eyes now. I don't, I don't believe him because, like, once again, looking at him, looking at his behavior, he was not responding at all like someone who's going through a serious traumatic event. Devil's advocate for a minute, okay? Assume, assuming maybe for a second that, that everything that, that Zach Baggins is saying is true and what they ran into, okay? I think then what it was was Zach Baggins finally, you know, this goes from experiencing something that is demonic oppression where it's just influenced to now dealing with something that is a straight demonic possession and he's dealing with something that he genuinely does not understand and is not prepared for. I mean, I guess that'd be a possibility, but I would expect a stronger reaction in the moment if that was the situation. Because that still doesn't express, like, why is it that his voice does not sound legitimately in distress? Why isn't he, when he's terrified of this creature approaching, why isn't he clenching up his body more? Why isn't he moving into a tense uh, position? Like, when he's walking around messing up the house... He looks like just someone going up and doing these as actions, not like it's a attempt of catharsis in a extreme emotional case. Like, look at his body posture. He's walking around, but his he's not tensed up like you should. You should the movements that he's going on should be explosive, not just walking over and knocking stuff over. Well, I thought you were also just gonna say, why doesn't he have a camera on his head? The entire oh yeah, time? that's also a point for throughout the whole thing is. Yeah. When he when he when he when he runs into dealing when he had that, that climactic moment where he's hurling stuff at some sort of invisible entity, there's a bunch of like camera cuts like all over the place like all over the place, but you never see what he's like legit throwing anything at. But so all in all, I guess if you're a real hardcore fan of this case and you want to get more information, I guess watch it. But you but just be ready. Be ready to deal with a lot of. Baggins bullshit, man. There's going to be a lot of it. Do you think that the kids were? Le do you think that the kids were legitimately? Do you think this is a case of genuine demonic possession, or do you think this is a case 
of an extreme demonic oppression. Oh, I think it's oppression. Oppression or possession? I think it's oppression. Okay. Yeah, I don't think that this is a case of legitimate demonic possession. Or, if it is, it's a case of demonic possession where we simply did not get enough information. And if that is the case, I think it's ongoing. I think that it's just learned to be more subtle and stay out of the news. Yeah. But I think that if it was possession, being that, A, the kids were never actually exercised, Latoya Amons was never properly exercised, I would have to assume that what's happening is still occurring. Can you, can you, because one of the most important elements of this is that there are three children that have reports of this ongoing at any given time. Can you cite a single example that's the top echelon of like possible cases of multiple people possessed at once like that. Oh goodness. Um, demonic possession really isn't my big bread and butter, but I can't think of one, most, but it wouldn't surprise me if one could exist. I know that's the thing because, because most cases that like, <coughs> like that even the Catholic church puts forward, it's a single person usually like it's a single person that's usually that's being afflicted at the time. You know what? This is a good question. Later on this month, we're going to be uh, interviewing a demonologist. Let's save that question for them, because hmm. they're probably going to be able to answer it better than either of us. So then, what? So then, what? So if the, if you think that this is a case of strong demon oppression, demonic oppression, with the information I have, and keep in mind, I have a limited amount of information on it. That's what I'd assume. What do you think was causing that? Like, what do you think was legit causing that? Because I. Well, there is a lot of trauma in the house. Um, like, if this house was attached to some sort of dark spiritual energy or entity like a demon, I that wouldn't surprise me because there have been multiple deaths specifically in the basement, suicide. I believe there's a murder down there too, wasn't there? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. There, there have, there has been a lot of darkness in that house. It could be attached to there being something located there. Excuse me. But at that, I don't think tearing down the house really would have fixed it. I don't think so either. It probably just would have attached to some part. Because the weird thing was, was so many bad things happened to people even after leaving and, like, interacting with the family. So, like, you know, people are saying something attached. Well, if something attached to both, say, like, the DCS case manager ongoing, the chief of police, the, the, the contractor that came out to the home... Zach Baggins, the camera guy, all these different types of people. And like I, I don't think it did attach to all of them. I think some of these is us making lines between co- coincidences. But I think some of them there is some credence to because particularly like the um, caseworker had a lot of really intense things happen in a very short period of time. Way more than one would expect with just general bad luck. But uh, some of these I think we are... People do just make connections between, like, just events that happen to occur. Because, mm-hmm. you know, in the course of a month, one has one, maybe two accidents that are unfortunate. And that's just kind of how life is. If you're looking for, like, a connection, you're going to make that connection, though. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I don't know, man. I, like, to me, it, it's hard for me not, like, when I, when I break down all of the different, um, like, all of the different, like, possible signs of somebody being demon- demonically like demonically possessed i mean i think the kids fit three of the bill like three of three out of the four 
And I don't really think you have to fit all four. I just think that that's just how the Catholic Church tries to narrow it down. I don't think you generally have to. You know, just because you have knowledge doesn't mean you reveal knowledge, which is really the only one that isn't, uh, that isn't stated, you know. So it wasn't like anybody was legit trying to narrow that particular part, because that part was never ever, like, ruled out as far as, because I don't think, I don't think a whole lot, I don't think that the father had a whole lot of interaction with the children in order to be able to test that particular part. Like, with just the information we have on it, it doesn't necessarily sound like a possession, but I do believe that there's a lot of this case that did not make it to us. The one thing that I found that was kind of a, that I found kind of offensive, man, when I was watching the, the the documentary is people trying to accuse Latoya Amons of intentionally doing this herself to the children and stuff, or the mother doing this stuff too. Because if you read, like, if you read further, like into the case, the mother and the grandmother had a lot of had attempted a lot of methodologies to try to clean their children like they did ceremonies involving lighting candles and wearing white robes and burning sage and rosewood at the time anointing their children's hands um with oil uh and their feet i think as well and whatnot and like when many of the local law enforcement and i think even like cps when they came out too they went down to the basement where there was like a shrine with like a couple crucifixes were, were lined up and there were still candles that were down there. People were trying to accuse like the running the theory of maybe she was trying to summon these things herself or somebody else was. Oh, you went a different direction than I thought you were going to. What? Um, or maybe I somebody you were else. I that they the... were just staging it. Um, no, I don't oh, think they were. That's... I don't think they were staging it. No, I, I don't. I don't think that she was staging it. And I would doubt that. She would have the occultic know-how to legitimately begin this like, sort of process. She doesn't strike me as someone who has that sort of know-how. Yeah, like you know, like because you know, when when I used to work for the state, like, and I would, I'd, I'd have to go out and I would, and and I'd have to investigate, you know, parents not having their their kids go to school. The general reason they would they would claim that they want to go is that you know they hated the school. The school was out to get them. There was something wrong with what they were teaching them. And they were there. Latoya, you know, Latoya Ammons was saying that the reason that she wasn't going was because the kids were acting out and they couldn't make it there, which is consistent with other parents that had behavioral issues. And that was the reason they could never get them to school. So, but I don't think that I don't think legit Latoya Ammons had any idea about what she was doing. Like, do do you think the methodology that what she was doing might be effective in order to be able to keep the, the kids from? from being like having like like they're like what they were doing was going to do anything or the do you only think it was thing, making it worse the only thing i can think of that i can give her a kudos for i'm sure these are like the sort of beginning rights to actually dislodging something um she did try to burn rosewood along with sage i always hope people don't ever just do sage that just seems to piss off entities and they come back stronger later on if the sage actually probably gets rid of it, it was something that wasn't that intent on staying anyways <laughs> is my experience with the stuff you have to use that and other things and mainly you have to clean up the reasons why the entity was attracted to you in the first place I think, yeah, there was some baseline attempts to get rid of it, but I don't think anything strong enough to dislodge something that was motivated to stay there. But something that I was wanting us to kind of mull over, what's your thoughts about 
the dirt area in the basement under the stairs. I know a lot's been made out of it. I wanted to make sure we got to talking about it because I don't think we originally talked about it in our case file. Oh, uh, for what they were doing? Oh, I think somebody... Oh, I have a... I, I, yeah, when you go... In the basement of the home, there was this whole section of dirt under the stairs and what they were doing. I have a total thing about what I think they were doing. I think people were growing weed in, in the basement. <laughs> I think that's what was going on. I 100% believe that that's probably what it was. It was left out or the concrete was removed so people could grow weed. 100%. Interesting. Yeah, like, and there was nothing in the case that made me think there was something special to it, but a lot of people have made a big deal out of it. And yeah, I guess you could have uh, hydroponic lights from the back of the stairs and like you said, as a weed growing patch. Like, like some people were like, oh, that's supposed to have been where they were like trying to bury bodies or hide stuff. I'm like, I, I really think that's probably what, I mean, this is Gary, Indiana. I really, this probably what was going on was somebody was probably trying to run drugs out of the house that way or grow it down there. So like they just found the area of dirt in the basement and just decided to capitalize on it? Yeah. Or when it was, you know, maybe it was built up as what it was, or maybe they, maybe they took the, I mean, again, people don't understand like how innovative like drug manufacturers are. That's and true. What other ways to do stuff? But that could be, that could be the reason why they did that. Or again, maybe they were doing weird stuff with the dirt. I have no idea. If we took the assumption that it is a demonic entity attached to a singular person, who do you think it is? Hmm. I know my answer. I just want to see what yours is. Um, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with the nine year old because he was the one that walked on the walls. I think I think he was in the room at the time when. Uh, the seven-year-old levitated and was thrown against it. And I think that could have been a thing, but I don't think. Uh, but I, I think the kid walking up the wall is probably if I if it was gonna be one person to be him. I was thinking the daughter because she's part of the pivotal event that starts the whole thing out with the levitation. Uh, I have another theory about what, what was causing that. Uh, well, because again, many times whenever you have one type of paranormal entity, especially a strong paranormal entity, many times you can have other entities that will piggyback off of that entity, such mm -hmm. as shadow people, which. The family claim that they saw it could cause poltergeist activity in the home. I hundred percent believe that could be a thing too. You know. So you I, think that this might have been caused by an entity piggybacking off of it? Oh yeah. I mean, that's an interesting one. I've always, although I don't think it's the most likely, I've always entertained the possibility that a lot of this could be psychic phenomena caused by um, the young girl like developing psychic powers while going through the puberty. puberty. Oh, you went, oh, you went there. Okay. Well, the thing is, it's it's a common. Oh, you went there. The, well, the thing is, like, that that's a, a real common thing when it comes to poltergeist activity, where a lot of times there's a young girl going through puberty in the house, and a lot of people attribute it to this is someone awakening to psychic phenomena, and they're causing poltergeist-like activity, where it's actually just them manifesting the psychic ability. It could be, truthfully, it could be all the above. I mean, the family itself had, like, the claim that they had a had a psychic, um, had what a couple of clairvoyants that were trying to say that the home was afflicted by like what 200 demons. They could have just been seeing the plethora of entities they would have been attracted to. I mean, if again, th think that if there's a strong demonic presence in the home, how much of a buffet that would be for like shadow people that would be like, oh, this is what I'm talking about. Yeah, but the thing is, like, I've never seen a shadow person manifest anything as strong as forcing someone to levitate. No, 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 no. I'm talking about. I'm talking about that. Like, if there's a strong demonic presence, how that could attract other paranormal oh, entities. Oh, yeah, I, I would, I would believe that. Especially like in our world with shadow people, we always talk about how they seem to piggyback off other issues. Yeah, and I think that you know, again, if there's a strong amount of presence, that would explain the shadow people that would be showing up. That would also, I mean, I think that would also explain poltergeist activity showing up at the same t at the same time too. 
again, I, I think that could be the main reason about why there's so many different things going on with the Humble Ones. But. And I guess perhaps. I, I'll definitely see you on the Shadow People a little, little more dubious on the Poltergeist activity, but I see where you're going, and I, I'm mm-hmm. getting it. I'm getting it. Right. Uh, yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. So... Uh, anything else about this awesome case that you want to talk about? Oh, goodness. Have we talked enough about... Yeah, we already talked about the amazing documentation that occurred. <laughs> yeah, I think we've about... We've, we've hit all my big points. Final thoughts? Yeah. So, my final thoughts on this is... I, I tell people you can't always put... He, like human um you you can't you you can't put like a human thoughts like on many of these demonic entities and try to like try to necessarily understand what they're wanting to do or their capabilities or, or how that works you know so it, with that you know when it comes to you know when the kids are being medically evaluated why are they not why isn't why is it only coming out at certain times why is it why is it uh, not coming out at other times I, I think that it, at the same time that these kids are having um, an extreme paranormal encounter with something, a presence going on at home, they probably at the same time are probably picking up some bad behavioral habits too at the same time. And also it's very likely too that these that this entity might at a certain point just decide to wait it out and just let it go. You know, there's no other, there's no other major paranormal phenomenon occurs with the kids after the first night, after that night, after that fateful night uh, in the hospital, you know? So I'm thinking what happens is what happened was, was now this thing has everybody's attention and it just decides it's might just try to wait it out and try to, and try to let things go. I know I've thrown out a lot of ideas today about it being psychic phenomena and our discussion on oppression and possession. I think no matter how you cut it, this family was confronted by a very motivated spiritual entity that had bad plans for them. I think that they were legitimately under spiritual attack. I think that if... I, th- I also think that this is just an amazing case that you have documentation on it to the extent that we do this. That's very abnormal in the paranormal. Now, I think that the spirit or the spiritual entity, probably a demon, one of the few you won't hear me say that very often, was likely attached to one of the kids, not Latoya. The more I think about it, the more I think that it is most likely possession. Like, if we just look at the facts we have, I would say oppression, but I think there's a lot more going on behind the scenes that we never were privy to i think whatever it is is like you're saying i think it's ongoing i don't think it was ever properly dislodged i think it's picking its time and working towards whatever goal it has for the family i think the scariest part of the story is that it's not over yeah you know i know zach back in his documentary he tries to claim that he thinks that it is what's going on but it's I don't think it is. Also, I think we can wrap this up by a cheers and a screw zach baggins yeah screw zach baggins yeah there you go (laughs) Absolutely, definitely give your guys the thoughts in the comments below about what you guys think about the Latoya Ammons case. Do you guys think that it was just a case of oppression, possession, something else? Uh, do you think it's a hoax? Please give us your guys' thoughts on all of those. 
um, in the comments below. If you guys like this episode, don't forget to like, uh, like this episode, share. It's one of the best things you can do. Follow us wherever you're getting, wherever you're listening to this podcast. But until next time, guys, keep believing. Because we'll keep listening. Woo! Okay, that was an awesome episode, man. We got to talk about probably, honestly, my favorite story to talk about in the paranormal. It is a really good one. Awesome. Okay, guys, so we're going to slide into the Pillow Talk segment of the podcast. If you guys have never... Uh, heard this part. Uh, the Pillow Talk uh, is our part of the podcast that we reserve exclusively for our patrons. So if you guys want to catch up more of this fantastic podcast, all you have to do is go over to our patron and sign up today. As little as a dollar a month, you guys can get the rest of every podcast we ever do. And I'm going to open up another beer in toast of our patrons. Cheers. Uh, that is cheers to you guys, our patrons. Awesome. All right, so for today's Pillow Talk segment, I thought that we could talk about an interesting little book that's actually kind of important when it comes to demonology. I don't know if any of you guys have ever heard of it. Uh, it was featured in the uh, wonderful, fantastic uh, movie, The Da Vinci Code. The, was it? I never saw The Da Vinci yeah, Code. The Malleus Maleficarum. Or The Hammer of the Witches. Or The Witch Hammer, depending how you want to translate it. Just show Witch Hammer. Witch Hammer! Witch Hammer! Okay, before we start fading out real quick, I want to tell one quick story. I Back when uh, Adam Mathers used to live with me, I used to periodically pull out my copy of the Malleus Maleficarum and throw it at him yelling Witch Hammer. So if you guys ever want to do a fantastically funny prank to any of your pagan friends or friends that are really into the paranormal or just somebody you just want to have a laugh at just hurl the just hurl the mouth of smell of a car milling witch hammer at the i don't normally throw my books but i mean it's the mouth of a car we can handle it and you know what you can get it for like seven dollars on amazon which by the way i thought was a fantastic deal by the way oh yeah that's that's where i got mine and yeah. i was like wow this is much cheaper it's than like, most like grimoires for only seven dollars you can get a whole manifesto for like how to figure out a witch and all I, that I don't believe it's ever less circulation since it's publishing. It's not so. You, so you're telling me that it's been consistently bought since it was first written? Yeah, in 1487 was when it was initially put out. Into the best of my research, it has never left or uh, left.